This is Amy Poehler. My new movie, Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2, is coming to theaters June 14th, and it's making me feel joy and sadness and anger. Definitely some disgust. Rose! And I think a little fear. But I'm also feeling these new emotions like anxiety, embarrassment, envy, and ennui. It's what you call the boredom. Okay, that one was weird. It's going to be the feel-everything movie of the summer. Disney and Pixar's Inside Out 2. Rated PG. Parental guidance suggested. Only in theaters June 14. Get tickets now. Sunday Showcase. Highlighting some of the best audio storytelling found anywhere. All right here on the Mutual Audio Network. The following audio drama is rated PG for parental guidance recommended. It's March in Mutual Presents, and sometimes it can come in like a lion or, or leave as such. So let's walk gingerly into the woods and keep Penny the Cat on guard as we explore more Mutual Presents with our double feature of The Mysterious Traveler with They Who Sleep and The Case of Charles Foster. So let's wind back those clocks quietly and start the show. The Mysterious Traveler. This is the Mysterious Traveler, inviting you to join me on another journey into the realm of the strange and the terrifying. I hope you will enjoy the trip, that it will thrill you a little and chill you a little. So settle back, get a good grip on your nerves, and be comfortable, if you can. Where are we going? Why, we're going to visit a man who could change the soul of a human being from one body into another, in a story I call, They Who Sleep. My story begins late one foggy night in a dingy little room in the slum section of a great city. The occupant of the room, a small man, white-haired, his cheeks hollow from hunger, has just admitted a visitor whom he does not know and whom he is trying to send away. An expensively dressed young woman with a heavy veil hiding her face. But, my child, it cannot be me to whom you wish to speak. You have made some mistake. I haven't made any mistake. I've been hunting for you for days. I spent a good deal of money tracing you here. But I do not understand. Why should you wish to find me, Alexander Thomas, a penniless old man You did who... not always use the name Alexander Thomas. Once you called yourself Chadwin the Great, hypnotist beyond compare. Chadwin the Great? Yes. I, I once used that name. But Chadwin the Great no longer exists. I am only Alexander Thomas now. Listen to me, Chadwin. We've met before. Ten years ago, you gave a performance at the Bijou Theater. Oh, there are so many Bijou Theaters. You asked for volunteers to be hypnotized. I came up on the stage. I and my sister Rose. You hypnotized her easily, but you could not hypnotize me. There were so many, I cannot remember. No, but you can remember this newspaper clipping. <laughs> that old story from the newspapers? Where did you get it? It says that you, Chadwin the Great, once performed the experiment of exchanging two men's souls. 
by the use of secret drugs and your great powers of hypnotism, you transferred one man's soul into another man's body. You cannot believe all the newspapers say. But you did this before witnesses. And one of the two men died. You went to prison for five years for manslaughter. Why do you come here to remind an old man of his tragedies? Go, please, leave me alone. No, Chadwin. For years I've kept this clipping, for years. Never knowing what impulse made me tear it out and save it. Until last week I found it again. And then I knew. You speak not like a woman, but like a soul possessed by devils. Perhaps I am. So you can transfer souls from one body to another? No, no, I cannot. How much would you charge to do it again? Do not ask that of me. I am old. I have been in prison. How much, Chadwin? Could you put my soul into another's body for $10,000? $10,000? Yes. Then you could live like a man again, not like a starving animal in this hovel. Once before I tampered with the eternal laws, I paid the penalty. And so did one of those I experimented upon. But which one, Chadwin? The which weaker one? one? He died. The other, the strong soul in its new body, lived. Ah, then I am ready. When can you do it? Tomorrow night? But my child, why should you risk your life for that which cannot be, which was not meant to be? Look, Chadwin. I shall raise my veil. Would you call me beautiful? Even pretty? No. I'm ugly. You are not ugly. Your face is strong. But if it were not twisted by bitterness... Enough it... of talking. How can you know what it means to a woman to be ugly? To lose the man you love to a woman you hate? Because you are plain. And she is so beautiful. Chadwin, will you do as I ask? To help you change with one who is beautiful. To help you to be loved for just a little. My child... Perhaps it is not such a great wickedness to do that. Then you'll do it? But it is only for a little while. You must understand that. For ten days, no more. Then the laws which cannot be violated with impunity require that your soul must return to your body. It's enough. It's all I want, Chadwin. Very well. I have here a small bottle. Here. Take it. Guard it carefully. When the moment comes, she, the other, must drink it in water. Yes. It will be easy. She will drift off to sleep. Then you, you must come to me. But not here. It would not be safe. Never mind. I know the place. The safest in the world. Very well. The exchange will be made, and I will see that she, in your body, slumbers dreamlessly. After ten days, she will wake and be herself again, with no memory whatever of what has happened. And uh, now, Miss... Vaughan. Helen Vaughan. Now, Miss Vaughan, who is this beautiful one with whom you would change places? The girl who just married the man I love. My sister, Rose Vaughan. Good morning, Bessie. Good morning, Miss Helen. Where's Miss Rose? She's gone downstairs yet? Mrs. Tabor, you must learn to say now, Miss Helen. Mrs. Tabor, then? Uh, she's in her room, Miss Helen. Is uh, Mr. Tabor with her? Yes, he is. 
All right, Bessie, thank you. Helen, is that you? We thought we heard your voice. Come on in. Leonard's just leaving for the office. Good morning, Helen. How's the best sister-in-law I ever had? Hello, Rose. Leonard? Darling, what's the matter? Uh, I know. Did you hear what time this young lady got in last night? It must have been quite a party. Leonard, I hope you aren't keeping tabs on Helen. No, but I did hear the clock strike three just as her door closed. (laughs) Well, me for the office. First, a goodbye kiss. Oh, gosh. I sure picked myself a beautiful wife. Oh, run along, you silly. (laughs) Bye, Helen. Got a sisterly kiss for me? Leonard, don't put your arms around me, please. Well, there's sisterly affection for you. You'd think she hated me. Oh, run along, Leonard. They probably need you downtown to polish off a big deal. Yeah, they probably do at that. Okay, I'm on my way. Bye, you two. Bye, darling. Well, Helen, you are in a mood this morning. I just think you two carry this lovey-dovey business to a ridiculous extreme. Helen, it's as if... Well, as if you dislike seeing Leonard kiss me. You don't have to be constantly kissing him in front of... Other people, do you? Helen, oh, my dear, I didn't realize. Didn't realize what? Didn't realize that... Oh, Helen, darling, believe me. Someday the man will come along who will mean just as much to you as... as Leonard does to me. You'll find him. I'll help you find him. Listen, I'll give some parties and invite a lot of new... Go Rose. Let go of me. Don't go gushing over me, you idiot. Helen... How can you be so cruel? Oh, stop sniveling like that. I'm sorry, Helen, but you're always so sharp when anybody tries to be nice to you. And you, you're always so nice to everybody, so soft, so sweet. (laughs) Oh, I'm sorry, Rose. I always forget how the least quarrel upsets you. Well, here, drink this, Rose. There's a sedative in it. Something quite harmless. It'll soothe your nerves. Oh, all right. Oh, oh, nasty stuff. Now lie down in your bed. That's it. Just a few moments now, and you'll be drifting off to slumberland, my beautiful sister. Oh, it is quick, isn't it? Feels drowsy already. You do? And you must give in to the feeling, you hear? Don't fight it. It feels so queer. It's as though I were on a boat. A little boat. Rose? Can you hear me? Yes. Yes, Helen, I hear you. You seem such a long ways away. Such a long way. Rose, you're to come to me when I call you. Do you hear? You're to sleep for a while. Then when I call, no matter where I am, you're to come to me. Yes, I'll come to you. I'll come to you. She's asleep. Jedwin's drug is working. The rain! Come! Well, let it rain. Yes, let the skies open and drench the earth. Let the rain fall like a curtain, like a cloak to hide the rebirth of Helen Vaughn. 
Leaving her sister Rose in a slumber so deep it was almost death-like, Helen Vaughn hurried to her room. There she wrote a note addressed to Rose and Leonard, explaining that she had decided suddenly to go off by herself on a trip to Mexico, and that they would probably not hear from her for some time. Then she put on her hat and coat and slipped out. All day she waited in a hotel. Then when night came, she picked up Chad with the grave in a rented car and drove him through the storm into a spot well outside the city where she turned into an ancient cemetery. There she brought the car to a stop before a low building of white marble over which ivy and moss had grown for many years. With a heavy key, she opened the massive padlock and they entered, shutting the door behind them. The air in this old mausoleum is dank odor of a charnel house. But where else could the living lie asleep, peaceful and undisturbed, as safely as here among the sleeping dead? No, I will not go through with you it. You already have your money. You can knock back out now. Then in heaven's name, let us be finished quickly. Quickly, yes. The storm should hide the car from the cemetery guards. But we must take no chances. Now, here's a flashlight I brought. I'll turn it on. Look there, Chadwin. At the tiers of compartments this tiny stone building holds. Each compartment with its iron door, each holding within it a coffin in which lies the dust of a vault. I see them, yes. Twelve of them. This one, here on the bottom, is empty. Meant someday to hold the body of Helen Vaughan. Tonight it shall receive her. No, no, this is madness. I'll open it. There. See that narrow, dark compartment? So small, so quiet, so restful, so safe from disturbance. In it, for the next ten days, shall rest my body, holding the soul of my sister Rose. No, no, there must be some other way. None that is safe. While my body sleeps and I am absent from it, it must be where no one can find it. And here, no one ever will. I do not like it. Hold the light. I'll slide into it. It's quite roomy enough. The stone is chilly, but what matters that to one who is asleep? Go on. Go on. Rose one, hear me. Enter the body that awaits you here. Enter quickly and wait. Nothing could arouse her. 
there. Doesn't she look better? Yes, I I think she does. Mm. She's waking up. Rose. Rose, darling, don't be frightened. Uh, uh, my Leonard. Yes, of course it's me. Who did you think it was going to be? I don't know. I was startled. I guess... I guess I must have been dreaming. Rose. Rose, what's happened to you? Why, your voice sounds just like Helen's. Really, Leonard? That's odd. Perhaps I'm catching a cold. No, no. Now you you sound like yourself again. But for a moment, I'd, I'd have sworn it was Helen speaking. Oh, I guess I've been so worried, I'm, I'm just imagining things. Oh, Leonard, hold me close. Close, darling, close. Always, Rose. Always. Always. Yes, always. She'll never have you back. Never. What, what are you saying, Rose? I was just thinking of how much I love you. So much that I'll never let anything take you away from me. Never. In the days that followed, Leonard found his beautiful wife, Rose, strangely changed. You, you've been different somehow these last ten days. In fact, ever since Helen went away so unexpectedly. Have I, Leonard? How? Well, you've been gayer, more headstrong, too. It's almost as if you'd acquired a whole new character. Well, perhaps I have. And how do you like this new wife of yours? Well, I do, and I... Don't? Oh, please, I I don't mean it. It's just that... Well, I was so in love with the old Rose, it's a little hard to get used to the new. And all these bills that you're running up, why, that's not like the Rose you used to be. Oh, Leonard, I do hope you're not too mad at me, because... Well, what is it this time? Another fur coat? <laughs> Worse than that. We're going to give a party. Another? Why, there's three in ten days. Rose, I forbid it. You can't, Leonard, because I've invited everybody already. Rose, it's so unlike you. You used... Why, you act more like Helen than like yourself these days. Never mind, darling. You'll get used to the change in me. In time. <laughs> Pleasure, Rose, or should I say, Helen, went ahead with her plans for a party that night. And when early in the evening, a small gray-haired man presented himself at the door and asked for her, he sent word by Bessie that she would not see him. I'm sorry, Mr. Chadwin. Mrs. Tabor says she cannot see you. Um, she says she does not know anyone named Chadwin. But she does. Ten days ago I was here. I gave you an envelope for her. It had a key in it. Oh, surely you remember? Yes, but just the same, she says she doesn't know you. Now, please go, or I'll have to call an officer. Did you tell her what I said? This was the tenth day? Yes, and she said she had no idea what you were talking about. All right, I'm going I must do what I can by myself. And while the gay party went on, miles away in the old cemetery, Chadwin the Great worked frantically with a hammer and chisel to force the padlock on the door of the mausoleum in which, unknown to the world, a 
sleeping girl they hidden. <laughs> Look. Got to get it open. Won't let me into her house. Don't even talk to me. Won't let me warn her. She wa What is that? Dog's coming this way. There he is. Somebody trying to break into the barn, Marshal. The dodge. I must run for it. Look out! He's getting away. Hey, you brave runner! They missed me. Got to get back to town. I must warn her. She's got to know. Miss Vaughan. Thank heaven this time you heeded my message. I won't have you coming around to my house this way, do you hear? You must never come here again. But you do not understand. The ten days is up tonight. Now. Your time is over. Are you trying to scare me, Chadwin? To get more money from me? Money? No. I'm just trying to tell you. It was understood ten days only. More is not allowed. You fool. Do you think I ever intended to give up Rose's body once I had it? In that narrow crypt in the tightly locked mausoleum... My body has long since died from lack of air. That rose has died with it. But I remain alive. So, that is what you planned. I should have guessed. But it is not so. Your body is not dead. It is in a sleep so deep that it scarcely breathes. It needs no food, no water. But sometime tonight the dog will wear off and your sister Rose will claim her body again while you, you, Helen Vaughan, will wake to find yourself locked within a burial crypt. No. No, it's not true. It is true. And you will not be asleep. You will be awake, needing air. And there will be no air. You're just trying to frighten me. Tonight I tried to open the tomb to save you. I was driven away by guards with dogs. But what can I do? Only if we can reach the tomb in time to open it, can you be saved? And we must go now. I'll get the key, and we must hurry. Hurry! There's the most lame, Miss Vaughan. Pray heaven the guards are not waiting. They won't be. We fool them by leaving the car outside and walking up this back path. Now hurry, Chip. What is it, Miss Vaughan? I... I don't know. For a moment, I... It's Rose, trying to return to her body. We cannot waste an instant. Hold me up. Something is pulling at me, tugging at me. Darling, where are you? She's speaking through her own lips. No. No, not yet. Go back, you hear me? Rose, go back. Here's the mausoleum. The key. Give me the key. Here it is. Quickly. She's pushing at me so hard. No. Oh, Helen, help me. Everything is so dark. Where are you? Go back. Go back, I say. Chadwin, have you got the lock on again? It won't unlock. It must. They put a new padlock on. Oh, dear heaven, they've changed the lock. Helen, help me. No. No. It's getting dark. Dark. It's hopeless. We cannot enter. Helen, where are you? No. We can't both be in the same body. Go back. Helen, I'm frightened. Don't force me out. Help me. Go back Helen. where you were. Help me. Wait, Rose, wait. Help me. Helen. Helen. No. No, don't. Rose, you mustn't. You mustn't. The guards, they're coming back. Helen, where am I? What happened to me? Sleep, child. Sleep a little longer and wake without memory. Please. 
for her with it. I can do nothing now. And the guards, they must not catch me. They must not catch me. There he is. We got him this time. Holy catch. It's a girl. It's Mrs. Taylor. Asleep on the steps of her own family mausoleum. Say, we got to get her out of here. Help me lift her out. Hey, wait. Did you hear something then? Like somebody calling a long ways off? Listen. No, I can't hear anything, just the wind. Come on, we got to phone Miss Tabor's husband. She may be sick. Come on now, no time to lose. About a man named Chadwin? Chadwin? No, I don't, Leonard. Well, Bessie says he called several times last week to see you. The last time was the night of the party. You're sure you don't remember him? Uh, no, Leonard. I, I'm sorry, oh, that's but... that's all right, darling. I just thought maybe you might have begun to remember some of the things that, that happened during those ten days when you, well, weren't yourself. It's so strange. As if my mind had been asleep the whole time. Is there something about Chadwin in the paper? He committed suicide last night. Oh. His body was found near the old family mausoleum. He left a mysterious note saying he was paying for some transgression. How strange. I wondered if he could have given us any clue as to... as to how you came to leave the party so suddenly that night and drive to the cemetery. Oh, but... It's all over now and not worth worrying about. I'd remember if I could, but when I try, I, I become suddenly frightened and, and feel as if I were locked in in some dark, tiny space where I can't breathe. All right now, darling, all right. Let's forget the whole thing. Now, let's see what came in the morning mail. Maybe there's a letter from Helen. You know, it's high time we were hearing from her. She's really not acting much like a sister being called for long without even writing a letter just know where she is. again. I'm afraid Leonard and Rose are going to have to wait a long time for a letter from Helen. In fact, I'll be very much surprised if they ever get one. I suppose it'll never occur to them to look in the old mausoleum. In fact, uh, since they both feel a distinct aversion to going near it, it may never be opened again. But I don't suppose that'll make much difference to Helen. <laughs> uh, now. Now, if you were wishing uh, you could step into somebody else's shoes, maybe what happened to Helen will make you change your mind. You know, I knew a man once who... He, he stole somebody else's body, only to discover when it was too late that he... Oh, you're getting off here? Well, perhaps we'll meet again soon. I take this same train every week at this same time. You have
have just heard Chapter 55 of The Mysterious Traveler, a series of dramas of the strange and terrifying. In tonight's story, They Who Sleep, Philip Clark played Chadwin, Gertrude Warner played Helen, and Helen Clare played Rose. The Mysterious Traveler is written by Bob Arthur and David Cogan. Original music is played by Henry Silverne, and the entire production is under the direction of Jock McGregor. Listen next week to a tale titled Escape Through Time. Another tale of the mysterious traveler. The Mysterious Traveler is presented by WOR Mutual from the WOR Studios in New York. This is Mutual. Mysterious Traveler. This is the Mysterious Traveler, inviting you to join me on another journey into the realm of the strange and the terrifying. I hope you will enjoy the trip, and it will thrill you a little and chill you a little. So settle back, get a good grip on your nerves, and be comfortable, if you can. Where are we going? Are we going to join Charles Foster as he takes an excursion into crime? I call the story, The Case of Charles Foster. Late one evening, several years ago, when I was practicing medicine in a large eastern city, I visited Charles Foster, a friend and patient of mine. I took with me Flush, a cocker spaniel he had entrusted to me. Hello, Doctor. Glad you were able to come. I see you brought Flush. Hello, Flush, old boy. He's missed you, Charles. I've missed him too, Doctor. It's been quite lonesome without him these past few months. Ah, down, boy. It's a good dog. How do you feel, Charles? Oh, I'm all right, Doctor. You needn't worry about me. I'm glad to hear that. I suppose you've been quite puzzled about everything that's happened these past months. But frankly, Charles, I have. Even now, I find it difficult to believe that you... Could... Doctor, I'm going to tell you something that I've never told anyone. I thought I'd go to the grave with my secret, but... Well, we've always been friends, and I'd like you to know the truth. As you wish, Charles. Strange how little people know of one another. For ten years, Agatha and I were married, and to the outside world, we were a happily married couple. But in the privacy of our home, I found life with Agatha a nightmare. I never would have guessed that. For ten years, I stood her sharp tongue and constant nagging. I might have gone on taking it the rest of my life. Fate hadn't decreed otherwise. 
It was three years ago on a beautiful spring evening that fate stepped in to change the entire course of my life. Is that you, Charles? Yes, Agatha. Did you remember to buy me some more of my cough medicine? Yes, here it is. Supper ready? Some men would be more interested in their wives' health than their own suppers. I'm sorry, Agatha, but you really don't look sick to me. That's because you don't care. I'm not well, and you know it. I work myself to death day in and day out keeping this house clean. And little thanks do I get for I've it. I've told you before, Agatha, if the house is too much for you, hire a maid. And how exactly can we afford a maid on your miserable bookkeeper's salary? Well, if you can't manage it out of my salary, there's always the $50,000 your father left you. That money is mine, and I'm not spending a single cent of it. It's up to you to provide a maid. All right, Agatha, please. Let's not quarrel. Oh, hello, Flush. How are you, old boy? Oh, you care more about that dog than you do me. You know that isn't true. It is. Sometimes I think the only reason you come home is because of that dirty old dog. Quiet, Get away from me. All he does is eat and put his filthy paws on my furniture. I want you to get rid of that dog, Charles. Get rid of him? Yes. Buy some poison at the drugstore and dispose of him. You can't stand to see me have anything that makes me happy, can you? Well, I'm not getting rid of him. Charles, this is my house, not yours. And I don't want him here. Come on, Flush. Oh, don't think that by walking away that ends the matter, Charles Foster. You'd better get rid of that dog, do you hear? Glad to get out of the house, eh, old boy? Yeah, so am I. Oh, it's a beautiful evening, isn't it? Come on, boy, we're going to take a long walk. You want to turn around and go home now, Flush? No, oh, neither do I. Pardon me, but aren't you Charles? Julia! Julia Sanders! Uh, Charles, I thought it was you. Oh, let me look at you. Oh, Julia, you haven't changed a bit. You're as lovely as... How long has it been since we last saw each other? Ten years, almost eleven. Has it really been that long? Julia, have you ever forgiven me for what happened? Of course, Charles. I was so insanely in love with you, Julia, that I couldn't bear to have other men look at you. You you know that I didn't mean... I know, Charles. I've thought of that night constantly been like a nightmare ever since. Please, Charles, it's all past and forgotten now. You were perfectly justified in breaking our engagement. After what I'd done, there was nothing else you could do. I understand you married Agatha Winthrop a year after I'd gone abroad. Yes, Julia. After you left for Europe, people kept telling me what a wonderful wife Agatha would make me. I allowed myself to be convinced and married her. Well, I'm sure everything turned out for the best. Oh, but it didn't, Julia. Almost from the beginning, our marriage was a failure. These past five years, Dagatha and I have merely been living together under the same roof. Well, I'm sorry, Charles, that it didn't turn out well. Nothing turned out well, Julia, after I lost you. I hope things have been better with you these past 11 years. Oh, I can't complain. I spent a number of years in Paris studying art and working at dress designing. Oh. I only came back a few months ago. You've uh, never married? No. I'm working now for Morgan's Department Store as their art director. Oh, really? Well, my, my office is only a few blocks from there. Look, Julia, why don't we have lunch together tomorrow? There are so many things I'd like to know. Well, I'd like to, Charles, but I think it would be much better that we don't. Oh, now, surely, Julia, there's no harm in two old friends having lunch together, is there? 
No, I suppose not. I won't take no for an answer. Do you know where Drake's restaurant is? Yes. Will one o'clock tomorrow be all right? Yes, that's my usual lunch hour. Good, then it's a date. Strange, isn't it, Doctor? The way after 11 years, Julia and I bumped into each other. If we hadn't, what followed would never have happened. It's such small things as an accidental meeting that often change the course of one's life. Yes, I know that now, but I didn't then. I met Junior for lunch the next day, and soon we were having lunch together every day. Mm. And for the first time in years, life began to mean something. Merely seeing Julia for one hour a day made life worth living. I understand, sir. We'd have lunch together, and then we'd go for a walk in the park. I sensed at the time that Julia, too, was lonely and in the need of friendship. The summer passed swiftly and happily. I should have realized that things couldn't go on that way, but I didn't. You mean you fell in love with Julia? Fell in love with her? I don't think I'd ever really stopped loving her. I became aware of how much I really cared for her one warm autumn day as we were walking through the park together. Julia. Yes, Charles? What about going to the theater with me tonight? Oh, I wish you hadn't asked me, Charles. Why? Because it means we can't go on seeing each other anymore. But why shouldn't we go on seeing each other? Because you aren't satisfied any longer just to see me at lunch. and It isn't right for us to go out together at night. But surely there's no harm in our going to the theater together. You're married, Charles. That's reason enough. All right, Julia. Forget I ever asked you. But at least we can go on having lunch together, can't we? No, Charles. Oh, but... Can't you see? Things can never be the way they were. We've become dependent upon each other, and we have no right to be. We can't go on seeing each other any longer. It isn't fair to Agatha. But you know that Agatha and I mean nothing to each other. We haven't for years. Nevertheless, she's your wife. Julia, you, you know I love you. I've always loved you, and I can't do without you. Charles, you're just making it difficult for both of us. Julia, you do love me, don't you? Yes. But can't you see? It's no use. I remember Agatha only too well. She'd never give you a divorce. I know she won't. I've asked her a dozen times in the past five years, but she said she'll never give me one. I want to part now, Charles. Right here. Must we? Yes. Goodbye, Charles. My life seemed to end that day, Doctor, with our parting. I went through the motions of living, but nothing seemed to matter any longer. I can well understand that. Well, months went by. Every day after work, I stayed in town, unable to face an evening at home with Agatha. When I did arrive home late at night, she'd be waiting for me. Is that you, Charles? Yes, Agatha. Sorry if I woke you. Now, lock, you care. Coming in night after night at all hours, leaving me alone in this big house. Oh, don't think I don't know what you're up to. I know you're kind, Charles Foster. You better go to sleep, Agatha. A fine chance I have to sleep with you putting on the bathroom light. You know I can't sleep when that now, light's on. It take me a minute to brush my teeth, then I'll turn off the light. Agatha. Well, what is it now? What's this bottle of prussic acid doing in the medicine chest? It's a deadly poison. I know that. I got it from Mrs. Smedley, the druggist's wife. 
She used it to get rid of an old cap they had. When I told her about flush, she said it What's was a thing... What's that about flush? I said Mrs. Smedley gave me that bottle of prussic acid so I could get rid of flush. I'm going to put him out of his misery tomorrow. You'll do no such thing, do you hear? If you so much as lay a hand on flush, I'll kill you. I'll kill you, do you understand? Yes, yes, Charles. You get rid of that poison tomorrow. Let's have no more talk of putting flush out of his misery. for hours, Doctor, unable to fall asleep. Julia's breaking off with me and my wife's refusal to give me a divorce and the prussic acid she meant to poison flush with had left me all worked up. Then Agatha began coughing. That cough she'd cultivated for years to give people the impression that she was an invalid. Well, after she'd coughed her usual five minutes or so, she got out of bed and started for the bathroom where she kept her cough medicine. Oh! Why don't you turn on the light so you can see where you're going? I can see perfectly well where I'm going. Besides, on your salary, we can't afford to waste electricity. I knew there wasn't any use in saying anything more. For years, Agatha had gotten up every night and groped her way to the medicine chest where her cough medicine was. Nothing could make her change her habits. I lay in bed listening as she opened the medicine chest and fumbled in the corner where she always kept the bottle. As I heard her groping for her medicine, I suddenly thought of the bottle that was standing next to it. The bottle of prussic acid. Without thinking, it came to mind. If only she'd take the prussic acid instead of the cough medicine. If she did, I would be free. Free of her constant nagging and whining. Free to see Julia. Then I knew it was useless to hope for such a mistake to happen. Agatha's cough medicine always stood in the same corner of the medicine chest. Even in the dark, she'd never take the bottle of prussic acid. And then... To me. What if the bottles were to be switched? What if the following night the prussic acid were placed in the customary spot of the cough medicine? Suddenly it was all very clear to me what I was going to do. Agatha? <laughs> well? Agatha, I've been thinking over what you said about flush. What? I suppose you're right. Flush should be disposed of. He certainly should. He's old and he's smelly. It'll be a blessing for him to be put out of his misery. Yes. Course. I'm sorry I shouted at you before, Agatha, but, well, I see now that you're right. Hmm. When are you going to do it? Oh, we'll wait until Saturday. And none too soon, either. Uh, you're sure the prussic acid won't make him suffer? Nonsense. Of course it won't. Mrs. Smedley said nothing worked faster than prussic acid. Oh, you told her what it was for. Uh, that's fine. Very well, Agatha. Just leave everything to me. <laughs> Next night, Doctor, after Agatha was in bed, I quietly stole into the bathroom and opened the medicine chest. I compared the bottle of cough medicine with that of the prussic acid. They were both small bottles, almost identical in size. I removed the cough medicine from where it stood in the corner of the chest and replaced it with the poison. Then I went to bed and waited impatiently for Agatha to start coughing. <laughs> Can I get you a glass of water or something, Agatha? Oh, water won't do any good. What I need is my cough medicine. Oh, that's that chair. Why don't you turn on the light? Because I can see perfectly in the dark. Besides, someone's got to economize on the electricity in this house. 
I lay there in the darkness, listening to her grumble as she opened the door of the medicine chest. The blood pounded in my ears as I heard her fumbling over the bottle. Would she feel the slight difference in the bottle when she picked it up? Scarcely able to breathe, I waited. quickly got out of bed, turned on the lights, and went into the bathroom. She was lying on the floor, quite dead. There was an agonized look on her face. I returned the bottle of cough medicine to its proper place, and then I phoned the police. Now, you say, Mr. Foster, that your wife was in the habit of going every night to the medicine chest for a few drops of her cough medicine. Yes, that's right. And she never turned on the lights when she went to the medicine chest. Oh, no, sir. Wasn't that a bit unusual? Well, I always used to tell her to turn on the lights, but she said it was a waste of electricity. I see. And you say your wife... It was her who placed the bottle of prussic acid in the medicine chest next to her cough medicine, eh? Yes, sir. I'd never touched the bottle of prussic acid. You see, it was my wife who procured it, and she... Yes, yes, Mr. Smedley, the druggist has testified that his wife gave it to your wife. Mr. Foster, are you familiar with the contents of your wife's will dated ten years ago? Why, uh, yes, I am. Then you know, of course, that your wife left her entire estate to the home for the aged. Home for the aged? Oh, yes, yes. I fought to keep my face expressionless to prevent him from learning that I hadn't known all the years we'd been married, Agatha had given me to understand that all her money would go to me. Now I knew that she'd been lying. Her will had been made out in favor of the home for the aged for years. I began to feel angry at the way she'd cheated me. But a moment later, I was grateful that she had. Frankly, Mr. Foster, your wife's death occurred under very suspicious circumstances, to say the least. For years, she'd gone to the medicine chest every night without mishap. And yet, on the second night that there was a bottle of prussic acid in the chest... She met her death. Were it not for the fact that your wife had left her entire estate to the home for the aged, I might be inclined to go further with this investigation. As it is, I'll instruct the coroner's jury to bring in a verdict of death through accident. That's all, Mr. Foster. I walked out of the district attorney's office a free man. A few days later, I moved out of the house which had been Agatha's and took up quarters elsewhere. Six long and uneventful months passed. I made no effort to contact Julia for fear that the police might still have their suspicions, and then I could stand it no longer. I, I called on her. Charles, when I was told you were waiting to see me, I could hardly believe it. I'm so glad to see you again. Thank you, Julia. It's good to see you again, too. Charles, you don't look well at all. These past few months have been something of a strain, Junior, but I'm all right now. I was tempted so many times to get in touch with you. Then I thought perhaps you didn't want to see anyone. Well, I did want to see you, Julia, but I was afraid it wouldn't look right. I understand, Charles. Now, let's not say anything more of the past. Only the present and the future. Julia, do you think we might try to pick up where we left off last autumn? We can try, Charles. I, Doctor, began to see each other night after night. Life for me became exciting and wonderful the way it had been 11 years ago before Julia and I had broken our engagement. Didn't you ever stop to think of what you'd done? You mean, 
Haggis? Yes. No, Doctor. They say that a murderer is ever haunted by his crime. But that isn't true. Hmm. At least it wasn't in my case. To me, Agatha was part of another life in the dim past. I rarely thought of the past, only the present and the future. No, if I had any fears at all, it was the fear that something would spoil the happiness that Julia and I had found together. But nothing did. And a few months later, we were married with you as my best man. Yes, I remember. And my second marriage was everything that my first hadn't been. The first time in my life I knew what true happiness meant. Julia and I were poor, but that didn't matter. We had each other. The months swiftly passed. And as our first anniversary approached, it was hard to believe that we'd been married almost a year. Charles, before you leave for work, will you sign a check for me? Oh, who's it for, dear? Never you mind, Mr. Foster. You just leave a signed check. I'll fill in the amount and the party it's meant for. Mrs. Foster, you're acting very mysterious. Well, a wife has a right to act mysterious once a year. <laughs> Darling, I suspect you're going to use this check to buy me an anniversary present. Well, whatever you get me, please don't make a neckties. Well, I'll have you know I have very good taste in neckties. I know you do, dear, but I have to wear them. You're an ungrateful <laughs> wretch. Very well, I won't get your ties. Good, then I'll sign the check for you. And please bear in mind that you can't make this check out for more than $312.50. That's all we have in the bank. Oh, I'll leave you at least the 50 cents. You'd better leave a good deal more. Oh, we won't be going up to Lake Ellis. Charles, are we going up to Lake Ellis? Oh, it slipped out. And I meant it as an anniversary surprise. Oh, Charles, that's wonderful. When are we going? This Friday afternoon. I've rented a cabin and a small motorboat on Lake Ellis for the weekend. Oh, darling, what an exciting surprise. Charles, you're sure it won't be too expensive? Why, nothing can be too expensive for our first anniversary. Oh, darling, <laughs> I've never been so happy. <laughs> This looks like a nice place to fish. Oh, let's see, where'd I put that bait? Here it is, dear. Thanks, darling. Uh-huh. Ah, here's a nice, fat, dimpled worm. <laughs> well, if you can't stand to see me bait, I'm just turn the other way. That's it. only take me a minute. Charles, look. That's where I get this. There's smoke coming out of the engine hatch. What's that? Yes, you're right. It's on fire. There are flames shooting out. Fire extinguishers at the other end of the boat. Charles, you'd never make it. You'd be burned. Yes, you're right. Besides, even the extinguisher wouldn't do much good now. The fire's too big. What are we going to do? Oh, the heat, it's becoming unbearable. There's only one thing we can do, Julia. Let's go over the side. We're almost in the center of the lake. I can't swim. But I can, dear. I'll manage to keep us above water somehow. Well, all right, darling. I'll do whatever you say. We'll come through this, Julia. Now, don't be afraid. Now, I'll slip over the side of the boat first, and you follow. All right. Now, hurry, Julia. Let yourself down into the water. I'll keep you afloat. Yes, Charles. Ah, that's it. Now, now, let go of the side of the boat. I have you. Yes, Charles. Now, don't be afraid, darling. You see? It's no trouble keeping you above water. Now, now just relax, dear. While I swim with you a bit, we've got to get a good distance from the boat. It may explode. Yes, Charles. Do you see any boats around? No, but someone's bound to see the fire and come to our rescue. Until they do, we must have courage. Aren't you, Charles? No. Now, don't worry, dear. 
I can keep us afloat for a long time yet. Oh, why doesn't someone come to our rescue? Well, someone must surely have seen that boat burning. Because we've been in the water so long. Oh, it just seems long, darling. It can't be more than ten minutes. Ten minutes? It feels more like... I've got you, Jenny. Just for a moment, you, you slipped away from me. Oh, Charlie, it's no use. I'm just a millstone around your neck. What, what are you saying? Why should we both drown? Charles, save yourself. Save myself? Yes. I want you to let go of me. Let go of you? No. No, never. Yes, you must. You're too tired to keep going. No, no darling. Either we're both saved... Oh, we're both drowned. Oh, I won't have you throw your life away. Let go. Oh, Julia, Julia, stop trying to break loose. Julia, darling, don't. I can't live without you. Julia, stop struggling. Julia! Help! Help my wife! My wife! She... Yeah, yeah, we saw it all. Hey, Mike, he's passed out. Get him before he goes under. Yeah. Uh, I got him. Yeah, help me get him aboard, Skipper. All right, all right. Any sign of his wife? Uh, she's gone, Skipper. Yeah, too bad. Well, if it's the last thing I do, I aim to see justice done to this fella. She never had a chance. Did you see him shove her under? It was murder, that's what it was. Mr. Foster, both of the men who rescued you claim that as they approached you and your late wife in their boat, they saw you struggling with her. You admit this? Yes. Yes, but I tell you, I was trying to save her, not drown her. No, you were trying to save her. But both the witnesses testified they saw you push her head under. They're wrong. I wasn't pushing her under. I was trying to bring her to the surface. You must believe me. Oh, Mr. Foster. You maintain that you were rescuing your wife. Not drowning her. Yes. Is it true, Mr. Foster, that you were engaged to your wife 11 years ago and that she broke the engagement? Yes, that's true. Would you mind telling the jury why she broke the engagement? We we had a misunderstanding. A misunderstanding. Do you call shooting the woman you're engaged to just a misunderstanding? No, no. You must let me explain. It's true that 11 years ago I did shoot Julia, but I've been drinking. I didn't know what Mr. I was doing. Mr. Foster, you do admit shooting and wounding her. Yes, yes. Have you ever seen this before? Why, yes. That's the insurance policy I took out for Julia and myself. Exactly. And when was this policy taken out? Well, about a month ago. June 15th, to be exact. And what's the value of this policy, Mr. Foster? Well, if either my wife or myself died... Provided $10,000 for the survivor. Yes, Mr. Foster. If either you or your wife died a natural death, it provided $10,000 to the survivor. But there's also a double indemnity clause in this policy, isn't there? Yes, but I... One that provides you with $20,000 if your wife died an accidental death, such as drowning. Yes, that's true, but I swear I didn't drown my wife. I tell you, I was trying to save her. Save her, not drown her. You must believe me. You must... And 
That, Doctor, is exactly the way everything happened. Strange, isn't it? The way justice works itself out. I committed murder and escaped punishment. Now I'm paying with my life for the death of the one person I really loved. It's time to go, Foster. All right, Warden. Goodbye, Doctor. And take good care of Flush, will you? Of course, Charles. Goodbye. All right, Warden. I'm ready. Let's go. again. Did you enjoy our little trip? Too bad about Charles Foster, wasn't it? As he was strapped into the electric chair, there was an ironic smile on his lips, for he was being executed for something he had not done. But as Charles himself said, justice has a strange way of working itself out. I knew another man once who thought it would be a simple thing to dispose of his wife. Uh, unfortunately, he... Uh... Oh, you're getting off here? I'm sorry. But perhaps we'll meet again soon. I take this same train every week at this time. You have just heard Chapter 64 of The Mysterious Traveler a series of dramas of the strange and the terrifying. In tonight's story, the case of Charles Foster, Humphrey Davis played Charles Foster, Nancy Sheridan played Julia, and Joan Shea played Agatha. The Mysterious Traveler is written by Bob Arthur and David Cogan, and original music is played by Henry Silverne. The entire production is under the direction of Jock McGregor. <laughs> Listen next week to a tale titled Blood Money. Another tale of the mysterious traveler. The Mysterious Traveler is presented by WOR Mutual from the WOR Studios in New York. This is Mutual. <laughs> And that's this week's Mutual Presents feature. The Mutual Audio Network brings the best of old-time radio and modern audio theater to the world. Be sure to subscribe through the Mutual Audio Network podcast feed, any of our podcast days, or the Mutual YouTube channel, which includes MadCon and many other extra features and shows. See you all next time at Mutual Presents. Good night. <laughs>